Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today on Looking Forward, we're going to take a look at trends that affect every voter in the United States. And for those outside the United States, it may serve as a basis for comparison or a frame of reference for how the voting process occurs where you live. I'm talking about the legislative process known as redistricting. To help us better understand redistricting, its implications for voters, and the past, present, and potential future of that process, we've brought on a highly qualified expert. She's Carol Cunningham. Carol Cunningham is co-founder and chair of Fair Districts PA, a nonpartisan, all-volunteer coalition working on redistricting reform in Pennsylvania. In that role, she has spoken to audiences all over the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, encouraging civic engagement and redistricting reform. Carol is also Vice President of Government and Social Policy on the State Board of the League of Women Voters of Pennsylvania. She received a Ph.D. in American Literature from the University of Pennsylvania, taught literature and writing at George Mason and Eastern Universities, and served for over a decade as Director of Ministry to Youth and Their Families at the Church of the Good Samaritan in Paoli, Pennsylvania. Well, hi, Carol. Welcome to Looking Forward. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Carol, can you please tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how and when you first became interested in the redistricting movement? Well, I'll be honest. I had never thought about redistricting. I had never looked at a district map. I had never heard the word gerrymandering until 2015. I, was a, I taught English. I stayed home with kids. I was a youth pastor. And as a youth pastor, I became concerned about disparities in school funding between the kids in my uh, youth group who were in an affluent um, church. And then we worked with a partner church in Philly. And those kids went to a school that didn't have a library. And I was appalled that there would be public schools without a library and appalled that half an hour from the, the state of the art libraries on the main line in the very same state, there were schools that did not have a library at all. And the kids who had every possible uh, resource had more at school and the kids who had no books at home and no resources at home had no books at school either. And that set me on a bit of a chase to understand why, and that led me to looking at our state legislature, that led me to involvement with the League of Women Voters of Pennsylvania, and that led me to try to understand why for 30 years people have been talking about school funding inequity in Pennsylvania and nothing has changed. And that led me to try to understand the structures behind the structures, and that led me to the word gerrymandering. Carol, this is fascinating. I love to hear that story because it's not something that you were doing your whole life. It's not something that was part of your career, and yet you were so concerned about what was happening in your own area and the disparities that you learned about redistricting and really got yourself involved in a big way. Now, for the benefit of those who are not familiar with redistricting, maybe they've heard the word, maybe they haven't even heard the word, 
as might have been the case with you several years ago. Can you please explain what it's all about and why is it so important for us to be aware of it? Yeah, I always kind of start with three vocabulary words. And this is a this is a topic for people who like to learn things. And I'm a person who likes to learn things. So I just yeah. keep learning more and more. Uh, the three vocabulary words, one is the reapportionment. And that happens after the census. Every 10 years is a census. You've heard about the census 2020. The yes. census was delayed because of the pandemic. But the way it works is after the census, the legislative congressional districts across the country are reassigned depending on population shifts. There are always 435 congressional districts. And if a state gains population relative to the other states, they will gain seats. If they lose population relative to the other states, they'll lose a seat. That's reapportionment. And then that triggers redistricting. Once those seats are reassigned, then the states have to decide what those districts look like. If, if they don't gain or lose a seat, those districts might stay pretty much the same, but states that gain or lose really have to redraw the districts because every district needs to be almost equal in population to the other districts. Mm. So they'll re, we will redraw our congressional districts, but then also our state house and Senate districts need to be equal in population. So that's redistricting. And then gerrymandering is, drawing district maps to benefit one person or party. And if legislators are the ones who are drawing the lines, then they can draw them to give themselves a safe district, or they can draw them to keep their party in power, even when their party doesn't have a majority of the votes. We see that in Pennsylvania. That's a very, very good overview. We have listeners, Carol, who do not live in the United States. They may be in Canada. We have listeners in Europe. I had a guest on recently who was from Estonia. So we're not just limited to the boundaries of the United States. Do other countries go through a similar process to our redistricting process? And I know you can't talk about many countries. There's just many, many countries out there. Are there some that have a process similar to ours or very dissimilar? And are there any that you'd say we might want to follow because maybe they have ideal processes. Yeah, I would say that we are a bit of an outlier in this. I think originally most countries that did redraw districts used processes like ours, legislators redrew the lines, but many countries have moved to multi-member districts so that they have districts that um, have a, a no, more than one representative drawn, uh, elected from that district, which means that people who are not the majority might also get a member. So you might have a mix of population in the district and you'll end up with a, a mix of legislators. So you get a bit, a bit closer to proportional representation. In the countries that have multi-member districts, they tend not to redraw the districts. They just move members around depending on population shifts. So if a, a district gets more population, they will get another member. If they lose population, they might lose a member, but they don't redraw the districts. In countries that still do have one member per district, most of those have moved to commissions that are made up not of legislators, but often of retired judges or statisticians or geographers or a mix. So the U.S. is really the only major democracy that still allows the legislator a pretty substantial role in drawing district maps. There's a few countries where the role looks about the same as the U.S. One is Malaysia and one is Pakistan. Both of those have been in uh, a bit of a crisis in terms of their democracy in recent years. 
There's no other major democracy that lets legislators have as substantial a role in drawing the maps as, as the United States. Canada at one time began to see hints of gerrymandering and back in 1955 began to shift towards independent commissions. And for the last half century, Canada has been using independent commissions. And that would certainly be uh, something that we would want to move toward to take that opportunity for self-preservation away from the legislators who are the ones drawing the lines here in the U.S. I really am impressed by that answer because you have a grasp not only of the U.S. and Canada, but of elsewhere around the world. And it sounds like you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, Canada might be a model of sorts in your mind. Yeah, Canada would be a model, but there's some models in the United States too. In California, California put an independent citizens commission in place in 2008. Arizona has a commission not quite as as robust as the California commission. Um, In the last several years, a number of other states have voted to put commissions in place. So right now, in places like Michigan, there are citizens who are being selected and prepared, trained to draw the maps. And ideally, the, the map drawing process would be taken out of the hands of legislators and people who have no vested interest, no reason to draw those very strange districts, uh, those people would be the ones drawing the maps. I should say a few words about the harm of gerrymandering. When those maps are drawn to benefit one party or one person, they're often drawn in, in odd shapes um, that have no bearing on, on the communities that they're supposed to serve. So my own school district is divided into five different house districts. And those house districts kind of go slithering across the, um, the county. And they, the Pennsylvania Constitution says that no county, municipality, ward, borough should be divided unnecessarily in drawing district maps. And yet we see in all of our maps, um, counties and townships and even precincts. I worked the polls at a precinct in a town near me. The precinct was divided between two different house districts. And that undermines the ability for new people to run for office. They can't even figure out where their districts are. It makes it hard for legislators to represent constituents or to serve constituents. And it really undermines citizens' ability to choose their elected officials. It's almost as if the elected officials are choosing the voters instead. Yes, thanks for elaborating on that. You're talking a lot about Pennsylvania because you live in Pennsylvania, you've been very active in Pennsylvania, but is Pennsylvania an aberration or would there be a lot of other states that have funky things going on? Well, there are states that have funky things. Pennsylvania is among the worst. Because we are a large swing state, we tend to be a target for people who want to figure out how to hijack the process. So in in 2001, we became kind of an exemplar of, hey, look, a major party can find a way to impact house districts, you know, so the small local house districts, um, but if you grab enough of those, then you can control the legislature, and then you can control our congressional delegation. So in 2011, there was a lot of money put into Pennsylvania house races to control our congressional delegation and lock in an advantage. So the majority party that got control of the mapping was able to give themselves 13 out of 18 congressional districts, even though by number, they should have had nine out of nine. So that's a pretty substantial grab of districts and and really impacted what happened in Congress. 
So uh, there was a book written about this actually that talked about um, bang for the buck, you know, that you could get a really good bang for the buck here in Pennsylvania. You could spend some money in our house districts and really get a substantial impact on what happens in national politics by grabbing extra congressional districts. And I'm sure we're going to come back to Pennsylvania. I also want to have us touch on some other states too. But you and I both happen to be from Pennsylvania. And I think anybody listening will realize how important Pennsylvania was in the 2020 election. Looking forward tends to focus on the future. But to do that, we first like to look a little bit backwards. So what would you say are some of the major developments that have occurred in the redistricting process over, say, the past couple or three decades pre-COVID, Carol? Well, I would say um, gerrymandering has gotten substantially worse. The word actually goes back to 1812 when Governor Elbridge Gerry of Massachusetts signed off on a map that looked like a salamander. And so his <laughs> name and the word salamander were put together. That's where we get the word gerrymander. So gerrymandering has been around for sure for over two centuries, but it used to be done with a pencil and a map and not very sophisticated. You think about the technology you now have on your smartphone and the kind of data capacities that we now have. And so gerrymandering has gotten incredibly precise over the last two decades. And so 2011, the um, extent of precision in drawing those maps was pretty alarming and could really control the outcome of elections for most of the next decade. So without changing that, the technology now is, is phenomenally more, more advanced than it was in 2011. Just think of the, what, you know, the advances that are happening you know, kind of weekly in terms of technology. So if we don't fix this, elections will really be locked up in states where legislators can control the process going forward. So technology is a really big change in what's happened. Another interesting change, though, in Pennsylvania, in 2018, there was a lawsuit on the grounds of partisan gerrymandering, and it didn't address the federal constitution. It addressed the state constitution. The Pennsylvania state constitution says we have a right to free and equal elections, the lawsuit alleged that our right to free and equal elections was being infringed by gerrymandered maps. And the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, that's right, look at this. If you lock in 13 out of 18 districts, no matter what the vote does, then you have deprived people of free and equal elections. It was the first one historic in the United States, first partisan gerrymandering lawsuit to bring a new map. And that reversed the advantage that had been locked in and the, the last two elections, 2018 and 2020, yielded nine and nine. So nine Republicans, nine Democrats out of 18. So that's a pretty important um, development. And states around the country are looking at that, looking at their constitutions and saying, we have a right to free and equal elections and we need to find a way to leverage that right. And the U.S. Supreme Court, another development was the U.S. Supreme Court was given two partisan redistricting lawsuits, one from Maryland, one from Wisconsin. The one from Wisconsin was Republican gerrymander. The one from Maryland was a Democratic gerrymander. And the Supreme Court said, gerrymandering is a problem and we are not going to fix it. That was basically the message. So states kind of were in despair and then looked at the, the Pennsylvania lawsuit and said, wait a second, we can perhaps in some states address this at the state level. So redistricting is huge. It's, it's really important. This is a big, big issue this year. It will impact our politics in our state, but our country for the next 10 years. And there are some positive developments, independent commissions, and that league lawsuit in 2018. 
um, and some really negative developments, which is the incredible power and precision of the redistricting process. One more thing about developments is right it's the same technology that makes it possible to gerrymander is now available to citizens to draw their own maps. So here in Pennsylvania, we've had mapping competitions and around the country, there are people who now have access to mapping software. I've drawn maps myself. And once you start drawing maps, you can see what was being done in the gerrymander. You can see, haha, this is why they did it. They divided this college. There are historically black colleges that have been divided into pieces. So those students don't impact those elections. There are poor minority communities that are broken into pieces so that those communities don't have a voice. And once you start seeing that, citizens say, wait a minute, we're not gonna let this happen. And so another important development is just citizens understanding maps better and understanding how to analyze maps better. Wow, that's fascinating. Let me ask you, where do things stand now, Carol, in terms of the redistricting efforts around the United States? You might wanna start out with Pennsylvania, but then talk about some other states and Probably the obvious question that goes along with this is whether or not this is something that both parties are pursuing, or is this more something that one party is actively looking at? And I say both parties, both major parties. There are other parties. Is this something that both major parties are focused on? And maybe even other parties are focused on it. I don't know. If you could talk about those couple of things. Yeah, I would say both major parties are certainly focused on this. What was interesting in 2011 was the Republican Party had kind of recognized that if they could pour money into down ballot races, then they could possibly control the outcome in Congress and had a, a website called the Red Map. I forget what the red stood for, but I was kind of surprised when I saw the website because they were saying our plan is to put a lot of money into down ballot races so that we can control the redistricting process. And then they had a report explaining how they had managed to take districts that were not appropriately do them in terms of votes cast. And, and it was a big celebration. I remember looking at that online and saying, wait a second, <laughs> this should be illegal. And you're saying out loud that you're celebrating that you, you did this. Um, that was in 2011. In 2021, both parties, I think, are being a little more circumspect on what they're saying because I think they realize for voters, that is incredibly offensive to think that a party is going to come in and try to hijack uh, your districts to control outcomes in a way that does not reflect the popular vote. So both parties are couching their uh, approach in lots of different terms, um, whether they're talking about reforms, responding to the constitution, there's a lot of uh, rhetoric. What they really plan to do is, is kind of hard to say, and I think it depends on the state. There, there have been some reforms. As I said, there are some citizen um, commissions in place now that were not in place before. There also have been some bills passed to put transparency rules around the redistricting process in some states. Here in Pennsylvania, we um, spent several years trying to get an independent commission in place and were not successful. And now we are trying to get a bill passed that would put transparency rules in place and that would um, require that citizens be allowed to submit maps and that legislators would need to consider those maps and has some other, other guidelines. Um, I think this is a national conversation about what's the best way to constrain the mapping process to get public engagement, to make it more transparent. In many states, including Pennsylvania, those maps have been drawn in secret, in private, 
um, and nobody knows really who's doing it and nobody knows really why they're doing it, that ought to be out in the public view. And so citizens are trying to push it into the public view. Both parties, I think, would be perfectly happy to leave it as a, as a rather secretive process. It's going to be an interesting year in terms of what happens. Where would you say, to your way of thinking, and you alluded to this earlier, but maybe you could elaborate a little bit more, Carol, on this, where would you say the model, quote unquote, model states are, where it seems as though the citizens are really playing the lion's share of the role in the redistricting process? I remember you mentioned Michigan was getting close, but there was, what was it, Arizona and California? California. What are they doing? How does it work? In these other so the California Commission, um, the California Commission has a, a selection process that citizens can apply to be on the commission, and then um, a certain number of citizens from each party and then unaffiliated. So they have three categories, major party, minor party, unaffiliated. Citizens apply, they have a narrowing process, um, and then they randomly select from those categories until they have their, their commission. And then the commissioners have lots and lots of public meetings where they go to communities. With Zoom now, that's much easier to do yes, than having to sure show is. up in person. Um, but go to communities and say, you know, what, what is important to you in drawing this map? You know, what, what do you think your communities are? Where do you think the lines are supposed to be? I mean, the lines are constrained by population. The, the districts need to be equal in population, but to invite, to invite public input. And to do it in a way that does not consider partisanship and does not consider what legislators want. So California has done it that way. It's interesting. Iowa is another, people point to Iowa. Iowa is a small state, got just a handful of districts. It's just done by an administrator who just kind of goes in the back room, you know, draws very, you look at Iowa and they look like boxes. I mean, it's very simple. Mm. Um, That wouldn't work in a state like Pennsylvania, but it works really nicely for Iowa. And then there are states that have just better rules in place for, for how you do it. And we are not going to be part of the, here's a commission, we'll show you what that looks like, but we're trying to be part of the conversation around, can you put good rules in place and end up with a good map? And uh, we'll see, we'll see if that's possible. So to me, this is a, this is a new discussion. Um, what would really good rules look like? And we've talked to national entities and, and what, I mean, transparency is a big piece of it, to not be allowed to use secret data, to um, be forced to look at maps that the public submits and allow the public to look at proposed maps and offer critique. So those are really important ones. Other rules we're proposing are not dividing counties more than numerically necessary plus one for Congress and Senate plus two for House. So you simply have a mathematical requirement. And then the other piece is there's all sorts of new analytical tests to show if a map is compact, if it's responsive to voters, if it gives undue bias to one side or the other. So people are, those are all new tests that were not in place in 2011. And so folks are kind of thinking through, okay, what kind of language would you put in law to say maps need to meet certain requirements according to these new analytic tests? So that's what we're trying to figure out. I mean, there are states that don't really have trouble with gerrymandering, but a lot of times it's because they're a fairly homogeneous state or it's a state that has not had a lot of change of district lines because they haven't lost or gained. Who is it that decides whether or not there's going to be a change in the redistricting process in a state? For example, in Pennsylvania, you spoke about, we tried to get a citizens commission, didn't happen. 
was that the legislature saying they didn't want it to happen? I mean, Fox guarding chicken coop. And does that vary from state to state? Who makes the decision about whether or not there's going to be a change? It absolutely varies from state to state. So some states allow citizen initiative. So you get a certain number of signatures on a petition. And if you get enough signatures, then the the bill that you propose goes on the ballot and the public gets to vote. That's what happened in California. That's what just happened in Michigan. Uh, the legislatures always try to push back and they have legal challenges or they try to find some of the petition signatures um, unlawful. But in California and in Michigan and in states that have put an independent commission in place, it is because they have citizen initiative. In a state like Pennsylvania, we do not have that option. And Pennsylvania is actually one of the harder states to change the constitution. And that's what we would have to do to change the House and Senate districts. We would have to change the constitution itself. And that has to be done. A bill has to pass through the legislature in two successive sessions. So it's not just get through one, it's you've got to get through two. And then it goes on the ballot for a public referendum. The interesting thing is there's a, a House Resolution 1 in Congress right now for the People Act, which has a provision that would put an independent commission in place in every state for wow. drawing congressional districts. Wow. And that is a simple bill. It passed the House last time, but um, did not get a hearing in the Senate. But the Senate uh, majority has just changed. So there is a, a real possibility that the For the People Act might get a, a vote in the Senate. And if it did, there's a possibility that it, it would pass. So, so that kind of changes a lot in terms of can we get a commission for congressional districts in a state like Pennsylvania? It's possible it might come from Congress. It wouldn't change how we do our House and Senate districts, but it would change how we do our congressional districts. That's very interesting. The other thing I want to ask you about, which kind of ties together the developments and where we are now, is you talked about 2001 and then 2011. What are you sensing is the level of public interest in the topic that we're talking about, redistricting? I'm going to tell you, up until the last few years, I didn't know about it, didn't seem to care about it. Now, because of what you're doing in my state, I'm much more aware of it. I care about it much more. I'm just one person in one state. Has there been a trend toward greater public interest, not only in Pennsylvania, if, if here, but also in other states over these last, say, 10 years up until the present? Yeah, I believe there's been a, a, a growing trend of people wanting to understand how structures work. I mean, so it's not just redistricting. I think people have become increasingly concerned about the systems and structures of our elections. You know, for years, people just thought, oh, you know, I'll go and vote and, um, you know, we vote. And we might not like the person who's in office, so we'll vote for the other person. And then people began realizing, you know, I might vote for the other person, but it doesn't really change things. And they might promise things, but those things don't get delivered. And then people have just begun to realize there's something not quite right in the way our systems are working and wanting to understand. And so we've been really struck at how many people really want to understand more about how things work. And um, once they begin to understand, they want to understand more. So we actually have done almost a thousand public meetings now. We are um, right around 990 public meetings in the last five years. And we've done a lot just since the start of this new year, um, attended by all kinds of people 
who show up and say, I've never thought about any of this before in my life. And now that I understand this little bit, what do I need to do? So we have a, a constantly growing volunteer base of people just saying, how can I help? What can I do? Who should I talk to? You know, writing letters to the editor, telling their neighbors, bringing people to meetings um, when we were able to bring people to meetings. Yes. Um, and we are just about to launch a what we're calling March Toward Transparency, inviting folks to meet their legislators. We're going to try to meet by Zoom with every legislator in the state during the month of March, because a lot of legislators themselves don't really understand how it works, and they don't really understand why it's a problem, and they don't really understand why people care. So our job is to educate voters, but then help the voters educate their own legislators. I know that you're doing a lot in Pennsylvania, do you have any information or make contact with others who might be considered your colleagues in other states to see if that same level of interest, if not activity, I mean, that's tremendous activity, is happening elsewhere? Sure. So the, I mentioned Michigan. That was a really interesting one. A young woman named Katie Fahey, the Sunday after Thanksgiving in 2016, did a, a post on Facebook saying, you know, I want to end gerrymandering. Does anybody want to help me? And it went viral and, and that turned into a group called Voters Not Politicians in Michigan. And, and they had people standing at kind of at gas stations or street corners or outside grocery stores. In Michigan, they needed to collect hundreds of thousands of petition signatures. That was the only thing they had to do is collect petition signatures. Yes. And they got an army of folks collecting petition signatures and now they have a citizens commission. So that's one. And there, there are some other states that did similar. The, the Michigan story is probably the most impressive, how quickly that group came together and how fast they worked and how quickly they got that um, ballot initiative done. Um, but there are other states. We started Fair Districts PA five years ago, and then I heard from folks in New Jersey. I heard from folks in Georgia and Louisiana saying, hey, do you mind if we use the name? And I said, well, I got it from Ohio and Florida. <laughs> so those are places that were already working on this. And I know there are states that, that don't have a fair districts group, but the League of Women Voters actually, which is um, we are a fiscal project of the League of Women Voters and a coalition of organizations and a grassroots movement. But the League of Women Voters last year decided that they were going to promote something called the People Powered Fair Maps Initiative. And that is at work in almost every state right now of people just saying, what do we need to do in our state to make sure that we have good maps in 2021? Because people realize it's not just, it's not just having good maps, it's having fair representation. And if you don't have fair representation, whatever policy changes you want to see are going to be very hard to enact because your legislators don't need to listen to you. If they're in safe districts, if they never run against anybody, if they have an unfair majority that's not responsive to voters, they can just block anything that you care about. And that is what we see in, in many states. We, we need to change that. Yes. And this reminds me, this is sort of an aside of why you often hear the clamoring for term limits. These people aren't doing anything anymore or they're stuck in their ways and it's the same kind of thing. One other follow-up question on this. It's well known that people over 50 or 55 tend to vote a lot or certainly a, a larger percentage of them vote than very young people. Are you sensing any interest in younger people in the process, the redistricting process that we've been talking about? Or is it demographically skewed maybe toward women or older people? What are you observing, not only in Pennsylvania, but maybe what you hear from the others that you've mentioned and who are in these other states? 
Well, I think it really depends on the state. Um, the, the voters, not politicians movement, they were, a lot of them were very young. So it was quite a young group. In Pennsylvania, we tend to be older, partly because those are the folks who have the time. Um, but we've got, we've got plenty of volunteers who are recent college grads. We've got college grads. We've got young parents. And we've got people who, like the people who run our website are parents and work full-time days. And then at night, they you know, do, do things on the website nice. for us late at night. It's a, it's a real mix. And I would say it's not any one demographic. And, and really, you know, people say, oh, well, you're just all from one party. I would say, no, it's across the political spectrum. We have, we have people across the state, across the political spectrum, across a wide mix of professional experiences who just say it's not working. You know, the things we care about um, are not being addressed and we've got to find a way to, to bring us back towards the center. I mean, that's part of it is the feeling of it's become too partisan and that is a kind of a symptom and a contributing force. Um, gerrymandering allows, you know, very partisan districts. It takes away the incentive to kind of speak to the middle and if we had more competitive districts, then our legislators would have to be more accountable to everybody, but they couldn't simply play to their partisan base. And what we're seeing in Pennsylvania in particular is very partisan um, legislators stirring up a very partisan base. We saw that in the constant um, denial of election outcomes, and that's dangerous for democracy. So there are people from across the political spectrum saying, this is just dangerous for democracy. It's dangerous for the common good and we want to see something better. So it's not just one group of people, it's not just one demographic, it's, it's pretty widespread. We commissioned a poll in 2019 of voter sentiment on redistricting. And interestingly enough, it, it matched up with what we see in other states. Usually about two thirds of people will say the current process doesn't work. And about two thirds of people will say, we do not believe that legislators should be drawing their own maps. And about the same uh, percentages will say the current process allows political officials to put party interests above the interests of the people. It takes away voter choice at the polls. It creates gridlock and it allows elected officials to choose their voters instead of voters choosing their elected officials. That's been the case now for probably the last five or six years, that about two thirds, and that's across all demographics, that's Republicans and Democrats and independents will, will respond pretty much the same, that they think it needs to change. Yes, and I should have also asked you, is there interest across racial groups? There is interest across racial groups, although involvement tends to, I mean, from what we see is there are some racial groups, as, as one person said, when we're trying to keep our folks from getting deported, or we're really worried about, you know, people, you know, ending up in, incarcerated unfairly, this is an important issue and we're really happy you're working on it, but our demand on our work is um, a little bit elsewhere. And we, we totally agree and we say whatever we can do to make the system work better for you, we're happy to do. Um, and, and there are groups who say, look, if you, if you really need us to, you know, to weigh in at some point, you know, we're happy to do that. But, you know, our primary concern is, is over here, right? It's more, it's more pressing and more immediate. And I would say, in a sense, what I've realized is it's a, it's a bit of a privilege to have the time to look at structural issues when, for some people, the day-to-day -day issues are more pressing. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more on that, Carol. In your opinion, what impact has COVID-19 and issues with the 2020 census, what impact are they having on the redistricting efforts that you and others are trying to make? 
Well, one is we had a really large rally planned for last March, and we had a really large rally in 2018, which was one of the largest that our state capital has seen in a long time. We were going to have an even larger one uh, last March, and it got to, we had to cancel it just two weeks before um, because of the pandemic. But beyond that, the pandemic certainly slowed the census count and made it much more difficult. And so we've heard now from the Census Bureau that the actual census data will not be released to states until six months after it should be released. So mm. normally it would be released by the end of March. Now they're saying the end of September. And so for states that have an independent citizens commission in place, they're really dependent on having a lot of public meetings that will slow it down significantly. Here, we are still saying we should be having public meetings and we need to have a publicly accessible website. There's a hearing tomorrow by the joint state government committees here in Pennsylvania to begin to think about what is the reality in light of the census delay. So every state is going to have to look at it, think it through in terms of their own system. It is a challenge. Um, it puts pressure. And a concern is that states will use it as an excuse to just push it through in a secretive way, as they have in the past, to say, oh, well, we don't have time. We would love to get the public engaged, but we really don't have time to do that. So here's the map you get, tough luck. And we are trying hard to say, you know, that doesn't work. Even if it's hurried, we still need to have a fair, transparent process. And it would be better to delay the primary a little bit than to push it through too fast. But it will be it will be contentious. It's been a contentious year, and it's going to be another contentious year. Pretty sure of that. Well, now you're really giving me the perfect segue into the name Looking Forward because it's upbeat, looking forward, but it's also projecting outward. As I so often say with my guests, in one way, it's sort of silly to ask anybody to look forward because if we look back a year ago, everything seemed perfectly normal in the way that we were used to normal being. So with that being said, what would you see as being a trend or two or three, however many, that relate to redistricting? You might see either continuing or something that might be starting over the next several years in terms of how it may change, progress that you may see being made, anything like that, please. Well, I would say one thing that's really been interesting to me is how people have begun to realize that state governments matter. I mean, for a long time, people just, you know, elected folks, and, and sometimes they would think about what happens in Washington, but they would not think about what happens in their state capitals. And I think this, this redistricting story and the, the way the election played out this past year has people thinking about state government and you know the pandemic, that too has forced attention to state governments. Why is it that some states are vaccinating people very quickly and other states are struggling to figure that out? Why is it that in some states you could get a fast COVID test and have your results the next day? Whereas in other states like Pennsylvania, you might have to wait 10 days. How, how is a test going to help you when you wait 10 days to get the results? So I think people are beginning to realize, oh, you know, this is a state issue. And if our states are not functioning well, we have a problem or elections. So for mail-in ballots, you know, many states allowed their election officials to begin opening those envelopes and getting them ready to count weeks before the actual election. Pennsylvania did not allow that, had a chance to fix it, chose not to. And so we had a highly contested election in large part because our legislature failed to pass 
a bill to allow pre-canvassing, pre-opening of ballots. So people are looking at that and saying, this is a problem and we need to understand it. And so I see a, a really growing trend of attention to state government and also a growing trend of people saying, okay, systems. And so th there were a lot of citizens engaged in the 2020 election. And often, you know, you have that level engagement, the election happens and then people sigh and they go back to normal. I do not see that happening. Mm -hmm. We have had a huge jump in volunteers just since the first of the year. We've had people saying, okay, I put a lot of energy into the election. Now I wanna put a lot of energy into helping to make sure that never happens again, helping to make sure we have fair maps going forward. What do we need to do? I have younger family members who never thought about any of this and who now are very interested. I mean, they're listening to political podcasts. They're sending me um, emails saying, hey, I want you to read this article. I see it kind of filtering across various demographics of people saying it does not work to just let things go along without paying attention. We need to get more engaged. And I'm hopeful about that. I think the more the more that citizens are engaged and, and trying to understand and lean in and learn, the healthier our democracy will be. And I think a lot of people realize that it's a time when citizens need to do that. We need to learn more. We need to lean in. Uh, we need to make sure things function properly. I couldn't agree with you more. We can't take our system here in the United States for granted. What I want to also ask you as part of where we might be going, realizing that your chances of being right are very slim, not because you don't know your stuff, but because again, like COVID, who knew what would happen? Who knows where we're going to be tomorrow? But if you had to guess, how many more states, Carol, do you think might end up with citizens commissions over maybe the next decade? Do you think there'll be five more? And how many again are there now, roughly speaking? And how many do you think we might see? It's hard to say exactly how many there are because you can define them differently. I would say it's a growing trend. We will see more. And the other trend I would say is we will see more fair maps in 2022. For sure. I think we will have much less egregious gerrymandering than we did in the past, simply because people are paying attention. I don't know any state where people are not really saying, don't do that again. We're watching, we're paying attention. So I'm very confident that here in Pennsylvania, we will have better maps than we had in 2011, just because there's so much more public attention to it. So I, I would predict that we will have better maps. And then we will for sure have more citizen commissions. Um, as I said, it's a national conversation and it will continue, but I, I feel like we've kind of hit the low point in the 2011 maps. I think those were the low points. I think quite a few of them were terrible. I think the outcome in states was really disturbing. I think people say we are not going to allow that again, and people are looking for ways to make sure that doesn't happen again. I think there will be reforms put in place either, either you know, from Congress nationally or state by state, I think we are going to move away from that level of extreme gerrymandering. And there will be different kinds of reforms. And what will be the best? I'm not sure. But I do think we will have better maps going forward. Well, you know, this is a great example of where we do have something to be looking forward to, because it sounds very positive. You're hopeful that we're going to see these positive changes. We've seen some already, as you've alluded to, more citizen involvement, better mapping. This is very encouraging. I appreciate that. Now, in closing, Carol, if you could tell our listeners how they can find out more about you, about what your group is doing in Pennsylvania, about how they can learn of redistricting activities in other places around the country, and something you reminded me of, 
If they want to volunteer, how can they find out? Clearly, there's a need for volunteers. I'm sure there'll always be needs in Pennsylvania, but in other states too. So I would say um, in Pennsylvania, fairdistrictspa.com is our website. So fairdistrictspa.com. If you look at it, you'll see across the top, there's a join button. And if you click on the join button, you can put your you know, name and, and where you're located. And then you can click if you want to volunteer. And then you'll get a form that will allow you to volunteer. So, um, and there's also a take action section that has ideas for things like writing letters to the editor or contacting your legislator or inviting a speaker. So fairdistrictspa.com, if you're in Pennsylvania, that's the place to start. Other places, I would say the Princeton Gerrymandering Project, uh, Google Princeton Gerrymandering Project, they have pages on different states. And on those pages, they have links to any organization in that state that's working on redistricting reform. The states where this is an active issue and folks are working on it, you can find those through the Princeton Gerrymandering Project, their various state pages. And they also have a, you know, maps that kind of show you which states are having trouble with this, which states are doing fine. Another, another site you could look for is the Brennan Center for Justice. They have quite a bit of information about gerrymandering and about what's going on in the states as well. That's excellent. And just for those who may not be familiar with the word or maybe bad spellers, gerrymandering is spelled with a G. Yes. G-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N-D-E-R-I-N-G, gerrymandering. Carol, this has been great. I really appreciate it. And I hope that it's going to spur even more people into action on what you've clearly laid out as a very important thing for citizens to get involved with. And it's something that citizens around the world, in whatever fashion, need to get involved with if they want representative government. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.